Any uh, any history buffs in the room? Got any history buffs? No? I don't know how much of a history history this is, but is 1983, is that history? 1983, I guess so. It's history. Now, some, some weren't even born then, but uh, I was eight or seven at this point. Um, how many of you recognize the name, um, hold on, let me get it right, Stanislav Petrov? Anybody recognize Stanislav Petrov? So Stanislav Petrov, um, I, I'm going to call it the Air Force, I'm not quite sure, but he was in Russian military. He actually died in 2017. Um, but uh, September 26, 1983, um, for those of you that were alive then um, and older than eight years old then, um, you, you might remember that at that time between Russia and America, supposedly the Cold War was starting to wrap up, but it was still pretty serious at that time. It wasn't the height of the Cold War. This is actually a picture of Stanislav in his Russian military uniform. Um, but uh, around that time, um, the Russians had just shot down a Korean airliner, and the tension was was at a very serious, real edge. The Cold War was still very much alive and well. Um, and on September 26, 19, uh, 1983, he was actually the on-duty officer at the Nuclear Missile Detection Center in Oko, um, which is somewhere, I guess, in Russia. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but it's somewhere in there. Um, he was on duty that evening when all of a sudden um, the, 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 the missile detection radar went off. And he said, if, if, if your heart can race and drop at the same time, he says, that's what happened to him. All of a sudden, um, he looked at the radar, and for some reason, the United States had launched five nuclear missiles headed towards Russia. And, um, and he, he kind of just freaked out in that moment, and he had a decision to make. He was like, you know, protocol said that immediately he was supposed to call his supervisors and uh, because, you know, you know, the whole idea of the red button and the guy just slams it and all of a sudden nuclear missiles go everywhere. He says that's not reality. He said actually there was a red button, but it didn't do anything when you hit it. Um, but he had to call his supervisors and then his supervisors would make the decision on how to retaliate. And, um, and so all of a sudden he's pressed into this decision on what to do. Um, because he knew that if he called his supervisors, there would be a very, 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 very high chance that they would say, hey, we have to retaliate, and they would have launched nuclear missiles at America, and then we would have said, hey, why is Russia attacking us, and we would have launched nuclear missiles at Russia, and um, and probably everybody would have got involved, you know, the casualties everywhere. Um, but he didn't, because he thought this question, why in the world would the United States only launch five missiles. That makes no sense. He thought if, if they're really going to attack us, attack Russia, they're going to send pretty much all of them. They're not just going to send five. And so instead of calling his supervisors, he just said, I, I got to figure this out. And so he started looking at the data and started examining the, the radar machine. And he realized that the radar was actually only picking up reflections of clouds over North Dakota. And it was interpreting them as missiles that had been launched towards Russia. 
He didn't call us supervisors. He actually just made a note of it and, um, and put it in the log that this had happened. And then later it was found out and he was awarded lots of medals because everybody realized that in that moment, if he had called his supervisors, grave things could have happened. Actually, um, a gentleman by the name of, what's his name, Bruce Blair, he's a Cold War nuclear strategist and expert, and he was working for the Center for Defense Information. He said this, he said, The top leadership of Russia, given only a couple of minutes to decide if they were told an attack had been launched, they would have made a decision to retaliate. Think about that. Clouds over North Dakota interpreted as missiles that if he would have told his supervisors, they would have launched their missiles at the United States. The United States would have launched their missiles back towards Russia and the whole world would be completely different. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that this week, it kind of took my breath away a little bit. Because our country and this world would be, I I wouldn't be alive, right? Probably none of us would be alive if that gentleman had made a different choice. It's pretty startling when you begin to think about and you begin to realize, realize how powerful one choice can be. Just one choice. One decision to call his supervisor or to not call his supervisor changed the world. Repeat this after me. Are you ready? One choice choice. can change everything. everything. And it's true. Our choices are powerful. And that's what we've been talking about in this series, that, that our choices are powerful and that God has given them to us as a gift and they impact our lives. And this series, I want to wrap up this series today with this message about how one choice can change everything. And my hope is, is that this story and that truth will give you hope. Now, to be honest, I, I don't know what all of you have been through in your lives this week, this month, or the story that you've gone through throughout your life, but or even what track you are on. But but what what I do want you to understand is this truth, is that you can make your life going to a different direction. You can be in a different place. There is hope. Because one choice can change everything. Now Jesus tells um where'd my phone go? It is. Jesus tells a story, if you have your Bibles um, or your phones. It's in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And uh, many of you may have heard it before, but this is what it says. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 24. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them his story. It says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. 
but no one gave him anything. Now, at the point of the story, I, I just have to pause and tell you, I, th- I think you understand that, that this job that this Jewish man was performing, for them, this would have been the lowest of the lowest of the lowest jobs he could have had. To them, pigs were very unclean animals, and to even touch a pig, be near a pig, would have been a, a very disgusting thing. And here, he finds himself at a place where not only is he caring for pigs, but he's looking at the slop, that the pods that pigs are eating, and he's thinking to himself, I am so hungry... I think I'll even eat that. Now, you ever been there before? I mean, he his choices had led him to this place of absolute, the lowest of the lows, right? But this is what the scripture says in verse 17. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, the hired servants have enough have food enough to spare. And here, I'm dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring your finest robe in the house and put it on. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I love this. Are you ready? And so the party began. The party began. Choices are more than just decisions that we make. Direction that we take. I get to, I get to make, we get to make choices every day that help us to become who God is creating us to be and, and where I want to go and what I want to do in life. And my choices are either going to take me towards those good things or my choices are going to take me in a direction away from those things. This story had made a lot of bad choices. Bad choice he made. I, th- I think this is having some problems. The first bad choice. Oh, it is? Oh, well, I just need to keep my hand out of my pocket. All right. Let's do that. Okay. No hands in the pocket. This I can do this one. Okay. Now listen. He's made a lot of choices in life, right? The first bad choice he made was this. Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I want it. Exactly. It's a bad choice. Now, now, secondly, he had another choice. I mean, he could have taken that inheritance and stayed close to his dad because we know his dad was, was a wealthy person and made good choices and inherited money and all that good stuff. He could, have, he could have had those choices. He could have stayed close, but instead what did he, do? he made a bad choice. And he said, hey, I'm going to leave the shelter of my dad in this home and this family, and I'm going to go to a faraway land. It's a bad choice. And then what did he do when he got there? Hey, let's get it going. And, and he, wild living, right? 
He had the, the friends, the booze, the women, the stuff, and he just wasted it all. Bad choice. Bad choice. Bad choice. Pigsty. How many of you have ever found yourself there before? Bad choice. Bad choice. Bad choice. Pigsty. That's how we get there, right? We get to the pigsty because of the bad choices that we make. But the beautiful thing is, is the scripture says this, and he came to his senses. He came to his, he woke up. And he said, hey, even my dad's servants live better than this. Maybe I can go home and be one of those. One good choice that changed everything. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. This idea that one choice can change everything for you. Well, what can it change? What can that one choice change in your life? Well, I have just a few thoughts for you. Are you ready? The first one is this, is that one choice can take you from guilt-ridden to forgiven. Now, how many of us, church is a great place to confess. How many of you have ever felt guilty before? Exactly. We all have, right? We've all felt guilty. And, and this is a great time in, in the service. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pause my message, and we're just going to stand up one at a time and tell our deep, deepest, darkest, sinful secret. Who wants to go first? Anybody? Yeah, Glenn's trying to raise Marsha's hand. You're going to get one in the ribs, bro. You better put that hand down. Nobody wants to do that. But here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing. Are you ready? Is that guilt, guilt is a gift from God. That feeling of guilt is a gift. What it does is it tells us that our life is off track. Here, we all experience it. That's what we just saw in just these last few moments. We all experience it. Um, and it all becomes a weight. That guilt becomes a weight in our lives and holds us down. And it, and it pushes us to get rid of those things that have created that guilt. July 2011, there was a woman shopping in a mall in New Hampshire, and uh, she walked away from her cart. Um, and when she walked away from her cart, she also walked away from her purse. And ladies, you know what happens when you walk away from your purse in a cart. It ain't nothing. And uh, she was gone for, for about five to ten minutes before she realized, oh my goodness, I left my purse back there. And she turned around and went back to her cart, and her purse was gone. And so she alerted the manager in the beginning. She, she had a little bit of a panic, and they began to look everywhere, and they found her purse on the ground a few aisles over, but her wallet and her GPS were gone. Her wallet had like 90 bucks in it, and her GPS that she had spent a lot of money on was gone. She said she just felt sick. A few days later, she got a call from the post office in Massachusetts saying that her wallet had been found in a post, um, a, a mailbox at a post office, and they just wanted to return it to her. And uh, so she went over there, and she got her, her, her wallet that had been returned, um, but her GPS wasn't returned, and, um, and her money in her wallet was gone. It was gone. Now imagine her surprise when a few days later a man showed up on her front porch and it was the man who had stolen her purse. 
She had, she had got the manager to show her a videotape, and, and she saw this man leaving, um, leaving her aisle, and uh, she recognized him. And she said through her door, her door, she started screaming at this guy, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why? You know, and, and he just slowly put something on the ground, backed away, and took off running. She said after a few moments, she kind of collected and there on the ground um, was an envelope and her, her GPS unit. And uh, she opened up the envelope, and this is what it said. Are you ready? It said, to the lady I victimized, I sincerely apologize for what I've done last week. I have never stolen from, any, from, from an individual, and this was out of character for me. I can't get this out of my head, so I am returning your GPS, are you ready, with an extra charger. He felt so bad. He said, I'm not just giving the GPS back. I'll give you an extra charger too. He says, and, and I'm also giving back $90 plus 10 more. And I dropped your wallet in a mailbox, and I, and I hope you get that back. There's no excuse for what I've done. And I'd feel better if you know that I didn't go there for that purpose. I was shopping, and I walked by your purse that was unattended for about 10 minutes in this aisle. Um, I want you to know I didn't follow you or stalk you, and I don't even know what you look like. I got stupid when no one else came for your purse. I hope you believe me when I tell you this will not happen again. And I'm sorry a million times over. I have some problems that I need to fix before I lose everything. Sorry, and thank you. Signed, stupid. The guilt was just killing him. He says, this is not the way I want to be. This is not what I want to do. And so he returned the GPS with an extra charger, and he returned the $90 with 10 more hoping that would make him feel better. Did you know that our government, our national treasury, has a fund called the Conscience Fund? You can actually look this up. The Conscience Fund um, was, was started in 1811 when the government received $5. Um, and, uh, and since then, in 1950, the fund had to be managed because so much money was coming in that they had accumulated millions of dollars from people who were sending it to the government because they felt bad about something they had done. Now, the lowest amount of money they've ever received was nine cents. And it was front, and it had a note saying, this is for three stamps that I used over and over and over again. I'm really sorry. And then in, are you ready? And in, in 19, oh, it doesn't say. And in the largest amount they'd ever received was $155,000. What's cool about this is that the government doesn't pursue these people who send in this money to find out what they did wrong to make them feel guilty. They actually send them a thank you note for sending the government this money. Here's what's interesting. You know what the government can't do for you? They can't forgive you. Now, it may make you feel better in that moment, but it doesn't remove the guilt. There's only one person who can do that. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Are you ready? It says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. 1 John 1, 9 I want you guys to read this with me. Are you ready? You can look in your notes. You can see it on the screen. It says this. Read it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This young man 
this, this parable, this story that Jesus tells, he was completely overwhelmed, confessed, and he found freedom, and he was able to go home. Listen, I don't know what you've done, and I don't know how long you've done it or how many times you've done it, but this is what I do know is that God is gracious, and he will and he can forgive. You can have a brand new start. One choice can change everything. Here's another thought, that one choice, one choice can begin your journey from bondage to freedom. What's interesting is this prodigal son, he made bad decision, bad decision, bad decision. And and some of these bad decisions were kind of the same bad decisions over and over and over again. How many of you know some people in your lives that continue to make the same bad choices over and over and over again? Now, how many of you are willing to say, that might be me too? I have a tendency sometimes to make the same bad choices over and over and over again. It's, It's addictions. And we get to this place where we say, I can't do this on my own. I need someone stronger. And there is one stronger. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit. Now read it with me. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. There's a great story in the book of Acts where we find Peter in prison. If you can picture Peter sitting in a prison cell, the scripture says that he had chains on his hands and on his feet, and he was actually chained to guards, sitting on the floor of the cell, chained to these other people, right? And the scripture says in in Acts chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter, and the angel struck him on the side to awaken him. And he said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel says, get up. And Peter's probably thinking, I can't. I'm stuck. But he stood up. And when he stood up, the chains fell off. Are you ready? Now get this. The Spirit of God is strong enough to break any chain that's binding you. Being in ministry for 20 plus years, or will be 20 years, I've seen God break chains. I've seen God break chains off people of addictions, chains of alcohol, drug use, chains of pornography. And God broke those chains. Story after story. Well, people said, I was stuck I was addicted. I was lost. I was hopeless. I was an addict. I was stuck. They said I couldn't get out over and over and over again. But eventually they came to their senses. And when they turned towards God and stood up, he broke off the chains. We live in a culture, we all understand this, that is saturated with addiction. It's everywhere And here's the thing, is that it doesn't matter what the addiction is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's one choice. One choice can take you from bondage to freedom. One choice can begin to move you from isolation to reconciliation.
Now, if you, if you look at this passage, that what we're talking about today is actually a subplot of the story of a young man getting his life back together. The real story in this, this parable is not just about a young man getting his life turned around and getting healthy again, but it's about the relationship between him and his father. That he was a runaway, that wished his dad was dead, that he was estranged, that he was isolated, that he was alone, that he was in the pig, in the sty. And the scripture says that, that no one helped him, right? It said that. It literally said, and no one offered him anything to eat. You can't imagine. I mean, that is about as low as it goes. That's about as isolated as you can get, where someone, there was not a person around that said, hey, let me help you out. Let me help you out. He was there. He was alone. He was estranged. Imagine how hard it was for him to come to the point where he said, I think I'll go back home. I think I'll go back home. Now, for many of us, we have relationships with people in our lives that we've been separated from. And we think nothing will ever change between us. Nothing will ever change. But what if? What if God wants to do something? It's not just about getting personally healthy, but it was also about healing a relationship. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3.13. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Read it with me. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you, you must forgive others. Now I have to say this, forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. I forgive, I can forgive someone, but not, but that doesn't mean that we can work it all out and rebuild all the scar tissue between us. It doesn't always mean that. To be honest, reconciliation takes two people. Two people have to want to reconcile for reconciliation to take place. And the big truth is, is this, is that there are some people in our lives who are just too toxic to reconcile with. Maybe they're dangerous to you. Maybe they're abusive. Some relationships can't be reconciled because they're not safe. But sometimes, sometimes there's a healing that God wants to do. Sometimes it's simply our pride that keeps us from going back home. This young man in this story was willing, though. He was willing to humble himself. And because he was willing, he received his life back. And the cool thing is, is that he received his father back. This thoughts in your notes. Reconciliation takes humility to confess, the grace to forgive, and the patience to rebuild. But it all begins with someone taking the first step. The first step. And here's one last thought. Are you ready? That one choice, one choice can lift you out of the rut of despair and put you on the road to your destiny. It's one choice. I I love that phrase that he says, and it says, and he came to his senses. He thought, you know what? Being a son is not even on the radar. It's not even a possibility. I just want to go back home and be a servant because my servants are treated better than the way I'm treated here. Maybe dad will give me a decent job. Maybe I can just work a field or, or something or clean his shoes or, or, or sweep the floors. Maybe, maybe dad will take me back to do one of those things. He thought his life was stuck. 
And he thought he would always be this way. But the beautiful thing is, is that he didn't understand what the grace of his father was like. I, I love this thought I put in your notes. You can't change where you've been. But you can change where you're heading. You can't. Guys, let's be honest. We can't change our past. We can't, we can't change what's happened to us or where we've been. That stuff's still there. The history still stands. But what we can change is what our future holds. Psalms 40, 1 through 3 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing. He wasn't stuck. When he went towards his father, what does the scripture say? What did his dad do? What did he do? That his dad saw him from a long way off. What does that tell you what his dad was doing? He was looking. And he saw him from a long way. And the scripture says that he stood at the gate with his hands on his hips, tapping his foot, saying, Look who's coming back. That sorry son of mine. That little sucker. What have you been doing? What did you get yourself into? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's what the Scripture says, right? No. Scripture says that he saw his son from a great distance and he threw threw open the gate and he took off running. And he threw his arms around him and embraced him. And he looked at one of his servants and he said, Hey, get the robe. I guess, I guess the son didn't look too good. We're going to put some clothes on this boy. Get some sandals for his feet. That's some hard living when you come back barefooted. Put a ring on his finger. My son is, who was once dead is alive. And then he says this. I, I, I've, I've heard, I couldn't tell you how many times I've read this passage, but I heard this fresh this week. He said, kill the fatted calf that we've been preparing. It's as if his dad knew, hey, we're going to fatten a calf because when my boy comes home, we're going to throw a party. I'm, I'm gonna, I know he's coming home. My boy's coming home. See, the enemy wants you to believe that there's no hope. That things are never going to be different. One choice can change everything. It can change everything. This week, Sarah and I were talking about the message. And, and as I was sharing some thoughts, I said, that's my story. Can I tell my story? I just want you guys welcome Sarah. She tells her story real quick of what God's done in her life. Pastor Sarah. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, we meet every week and... I uh, I tried to run from the Holy Spirit, and he runs faster than I do. Um, we were talking, and he shared <clears throat> a few of the points that he was planning to share in this message we just heard, and I heard the first one, and I thought, mm, that's kind of me, a little Holy Spirit tug on the back that you try to brush off, and then the second one, 
And then the third one, and the fourth one, I thought, okay, fine. So I asked Jared if I could share, because I think it's important when we read these stories to realize it's not just the prodigal son's story, that all of our lives just kind of put different clothes on the same on the same message, the same things. And, um, yeah. So we've all, I think, I imagine I'm not the only one in the room who has put on those prodigal son clothes and, and seen those same things happen. But as I think about it and I think back, um, gosh, as far as, as college, I couldn't have been more than 19, 20 years old. I was first diagnosed with depression. And at the time... Um, as the strong, independent person that I am, it was very easy to brush it under the rug and, you know, kind of like, okay, fine, I can deal with this, you know, and, and, and move on. But the way that God and life works is that the longer you brush things under the rug, the more the rug fills up and you run out of rug space. And so it, it kept catching up until I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it anymore, so to speak. And, um, I find that that's typically when people turn to things like you were sharing, addictions, alcohol, drugs, food, all of those kinds of things. And I didn't turn to that substance. I turned to work. That was my substance. I became a, a card-carrying workaholic, basically. And the whole the whole defining element of my life was if I can just achieve that next thing, if I just do the next thing, if I just take on that next project, I just do that next that next achievement, then it'll be okay, then I'll feel okay. And I did for about this long, and then I had to go after the next thing, and that would feel good for, you know, the same way an addiction cycle happens. But that process in itself slowly kills you. It slowly runs you into the ground. And that's what it finally did. And I found myself one day sitting in an inpatient behavioral health hospital, a handful of pills not having done what I hoped it was going to do. And um, that's usually where people figure it out and turn it around. Um, But however, the overachiever, I wasn't done yet. (laughs) I just did... um, Another bad choice, what what you were saying is, I took all of those dysfunctional things and then just put it on my healing. I decided I was going to heal my own way. And so now I was a workaholic only in my healing. You know, I just, you know, okay, i got to complete that support group and I'll do this many counseling session. I'll do this, you know. But it was the same pattern. And I've learned in life that you do the same pattern, you get the same outcome. And that's what happened. And about a year later, after white-knuckling it through life, I found myself sitting in another inpatient behavioral health hospital. And two things make a pattern, and so I finally, you know, he conked me over the head hard enough, and that was the choice point. I could tell you, if anybody wants to know the layout of a room in Banner Behavioral Health Hospital, I can tell you, I know every all the, the colors, the whole thing. I could see it. But I remember sitting there on the edge of the bed, having just thrown in the towel, I'm done. Forget it, God. And it was like he stood there, and this is how he shepherds me. So this is my relationship with Jesus. It's like he picked up that dang towel and threw it back at me and said, Sarah, you're not done yet. <laughs> so wipe your face off and get up. And he gave me that choice, and that's that's what struck me and what made me want to share today is that I had that choice point. 
I could keep going down this road I was going down that literally led to death. Or I could make that choice, and it was a faith choice. It was, of the two roads, this one I didn't know how to do. But that was the choice that he gave me. Are you going to get back up and, and go down this different road? And it was a faith road. It took a lot of, of leaps, and it's been anything but graceful. But I got up, and I walked out of the hospital a couple days later, deciding on that different road, making that choice. And it meant quitting my job. It meant some extreme treatments and getting my head above the water and making my healing, my full-time job, and on and on and on. But it has set my life on a completely different trajectory than it was on over here. Oh, over here, I have hope. Over here, I'm a much more healed and whole person than I ever was over there. On this road, I can now actually manage to hear God and his call to ministry on my life. None of that was on that other road. And all of it started at that one choice point of saying, yeah, I don't know how, but I'll do it. Just show me how. And I love that you shared that psalm because I'm pretty sure I read that on that very same day. That's the voodoo weird thing that the Holy Spirit does. But he gave me a new song to sing, but my challenge to myself and my challenge to each of us is that we got to decide whether we're going to sing it or not. And so I appreciate you letting me share that. Thank you, sir. One choice can change everything. One choice. What choice do you need to make? What do, you, what do you need from God today? What choice has he laid before you? Is there a relationship that's been strained? Is there isolation and God wants to, to reconcile and to heal a relationship? Maybe you find yourself in despair. I've got hope in store for you. Or maybe you're in bondage. He says, I want you to experience freedom. One choice can change everything.